0: Now, on a Monday, it's always great to invite someone in who has a real story to tell about their career journey. And today, my guest has plenty of adventures and can certainly tell you a few stories. Caesar Jung Harada is the director of Maker Bay scout bots and senior lecturer at the University of Hong Kong. And I can tell you, you will rarely see him sitting at a desk. It's quite unusual to have him sitting still here at the moment. He's usually out and about working on projects on both land and sea. And I can't find out I can't wait to find out what he's up to lately. Let me welcome him to the studio. Good afternoon to you, Caesar.
1: Hi, Sadia. Thanks for having me.
0: It's lovely to have you. And I know you have been on the 123 show before, Mm -hmm. but this is on in a kind of different context, really, because I want to hear your story. Now, um, before we talk about some of the work that you are doing now, I want you to sort of go back and tell me when you when you came to Hong Kong and what made you come to Hong Kong.
1: Okay, Um, so the first time I came to Hong Kong was in 2013. And uh, my intention was not to come to Hong Kong. I was passing by Hong Kong. (laughs) Uh, I I came on a ship. So uh, I came on a ship sailing around the world, and we were just stopping by Hong Kong on on the way. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, we we had a difficult Pacific Ocean crossing. Uh, When we arrived in Japan, uh, coming from Hawaii, we had a really big storm. And so uh, we had like a week of uh, being in really rough seas. And uh, we were in a, I was in a very small cabin with uh, six men, and um, <laughs> yeah. So you were
0: just sailing around the world, were you? Yes, that's right. Yes. Okay, as as we do. As we do. <laughs> okay. Okay.
1: Yes. And so uh, the the very first impression of Hong Kong is I was asleep on the deck of the ship, mm-hmm. and I woke up at I think four a.m. Uh, in uh, Sa Choi, so the ship pulls in uh-huh. and I woke up and I'm in the middle of Tim Sachari. So the the night lights of Hong Kong is the first thing that I saw and I was I was just amazed by by the sight. Okay. And then the first thing we did is that we we got off and uh, I got onto the parking space that's on top of the <laughs> Tim Seri and just to look at the city and I was just okay. amazed yeah okay. um, so that was my very first impression. Uh, I moved uh, to Hong Kong after finishing. Sailing around the world, uh, we we continue to sail, uh, going to uh, India, going to South Africa, Morocco, wow.
0: uh,
1: and then across the Atlantic. Yeah. I didn't know this. I didn't know this.
0: Now, how long were you sailing around the world for then? Uh,
1: about four and a half months. Wow! Yeah, yeah.
0: And this was with six men, and you were just. in know oh, oh, It was on oh. a
1: big ship. Okay, it was a big My ship. My cabin had six men. Oh okay. But we were over a thousand people on a ship. It's a big ship. Okay. It's okay. more like a cruise ship if you want. Wow! Yeah, yeah.
0: And and what was the idea behind that? I mean, did you just want to just let go and just going to see the world and you had the time to be able to do it <laughs>
1: it's, it's not so much like, a, <laughs> like a, so, uh, so as an entrepreneur you know like you want to develop your business mm-hmm. and uh, if you want to do if you want to do so you can actually go into places that are called incubator or accelerator mm-hmm. so you go and some of them are in universities and the one that I joined is called the unreasonable uh, accelerator um, and it was actually inside of university mm-hmm. but this university was on a ship.
0: Oh, wow. So, in How an incubator, in university on a ship, and that
1: ship would sail around the world. That is, and amazing. it's also where I that, That's also where I met my wife. Actually,
0: <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. And actually, you know, it just so happens that her, his wife and her and their son. son are sitting here at the moment too. And you know, his son is five years old, but he's been very quiet. He's just kind of waving his <laughs> arms up now. So it's lovely to have them in the studio too. So now you have sailed across the world, yes. and you see a new breathtaking view of Hong Kong. So now what made you come to Hong Kong now?
1: So again, like I didn't want to move to Hong Kong. So even after I, so uh, when, when I was sailing around the world, one of the things that I've done is that in every port uh, we would stop, um, I would try to build the same robots because I, I was looking for the best place in the world to manufacture robots. Mm-hmm. And so I had a build of materials for example, like um, wood and metal. Um, uh, for example, fiberglass and some motors and batteries and, and whatnot. And I would try to check how much things cost in every port. Mm-hmm. So if I was in Ghana in Accra,
0: it's a recce well, visit, then isn't it? Really? Exactly. Yeah. Okay.
1: And so um, it turns out that uh, compared to San Francisco, where I was based, it was uh, Shenzhen was seven times cheaper. Wow. Than San Fran- and four times faster. Uh, in terms of getting the parts that I needed, and so I talked to my investors. We were uh, mostly in Europe, and I told them, I told them like I could stay in San Francisco and have a great a great and life. Use your and money July, for loads of
0: things. But, but less then, uh,
1: things. but then yeah, I would burn all your money in a year. Yeah. But if I moved to Shenzhen, then I could sort of stretch that budget for like two or three years at least. So uh-huh. I could do so much more R and D. And so they say, well, move to China. Uh, my investor told me to move to China, so this is what I did. <laughs> uh, but then originally I was thinking to move to Shenzhen. Uh, because that's where electronics manufacturing is. But I started to be in Shenzhen for a couple of weeks and I quickly realized that it was so much easier to do business while being based in Hong Kong mm-hmm. and that I could easily travel back and forth. Before the days of COVID yes, and all exactly. sorts, yes, that's I yeah. can imagine.
0: And
1: so, um, yeah, so that was in 2013. And so late 2013, I moved back from, from Shenzhen to Hong Kong, where I established a base. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I was given free space in the um, Science and Technology Park, HKSTEP. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then I quickly realized that I really prefer to be in an, an environment that is more um, multidisciplinary it's not like oh you have the engineer on this side and right. no artist I wanted to be in a place so you could have artist and designer okay. and this is why we build on make a bay
0: okay and make a bay is your baby you set that up so that's right so really that came from a need of yours Originally, so, yes. so if you were to define make a bay for somebody who's not familiar with it make a bay is
1: um, so I would say for most people if you are familiar with a visually a workshop Mm -hmm. except it's not for just one person it's a workshop that is shared Mm -hmm. and so it means that you can have lots of different people who are using tools, so they could be uh, say, uh, mechanics, for example, working on, say, a car, so this is kind of like how it, how it looks, mm-hmm. but it could also be scientists working on some you know, physics, for example, uh, but it could also be fashion designer, they need to have a sewing machine, or they could be architect, they're making models, mm-hmm. or they could be furniture designer, or they could be a sculptor, they could be artist. So you could have a full range of people who are sharing tools, so that's the way it looks, Mm -hmm. Uh, the other model that is easy to sort of associate is the co-working space model so people have like a shared office Mm -hmm. but here because the people are not just office workers they are designers, craftsmen scientists Then they need a lot more than just a table and a computer (laughs) and a wifi so basically, looks like a workshop that people can rent uh, with a membership.
0: So really, you created that um, for your use to be able to do the things that you wanted to do, but yes. at the same time, you made it a space for people in the community and right. perhaps young people who don't get that opportunity to be able to go to a space like that to work. So that is that was very much your baby in terms of creating that space and wanting to do something for the community in that respect.
1: But uh, the fact is that uh, I just wanted to have a place to build my robots. But it ended up Taking a life of its own, and okay. I ended up doing much more of like helping other people than doing my own work.
0: Fantastic! Now the robots. What <laughs> yeah. was behind the robots? What is it that you were trying to do with the robots? What were the robots? What did they do?
1: So um, I got into this sort of ocean robotics work in 2010 when the BP oil spill uh, started in the Gulf of Mexico. So mm-hmm. there was a really massive oil spill. Yes, you remember yes, in the US? Yes, I, I was based in the US and. Um, And so I was looking for a way to make those ocean-cleaning robots much uh, cheaper Mm -hmm. and much more effective and faster. And um, so that was the initial reason why I came to to China. I was looking for a place to manufacture those robots. Um, But as time uh, happened, uh, in Hong Kong after we started Maker Bay, um, there was a huge demand for STEM education. Mm-hmm. and every parent wanted the child to have access to uh, robotics and AI and because that's kind of the differentiator a lot of these uh, uh, school programs they would only or they would accept in preference uh, the student that have done some interesting projects outside extracurricular mm-hmm. and so there was such a demand that we started to do a lot of that mm-hmm. and eventually it became sort of our main, activity.
0: So really, in a way, you kind of, you just went with the flow, didn't you? you honestly, Again, well, yes. Yeah, you just kind of <laughs> let it go. And in a way, you, you, it was the right thing to do, because you were probably giving a lot back to people who needed that at the time. Right. So now you've moved on, uh, you've got Maker Bay. you've been doing the robotics stuff, what right. comes next?
1: Um, so what I realize is that uh, being at uh, Maker Bay. It was really great that I I could, for example, consult for local schools or international schools. Mm -hmm. So, for example, we would have the French school or the Harbour School or Canadian. So international school would work with us. And then if we made enough money, then we could also um, afford to work with the local schools as well. And so that was fantastic. We would do, like, at the beginning, maybe short-term project because we didn't have enough of their trust. But uh, little by little, they were entrusting us to do longer and longer projects so we mm-hmm. could go deeper and really do projects that are more meaningful, that are more impactful. Uh, then I was approached by HKU, and HKU proposed me to um, the Department of Architecture to start the what would become, hopefully in the future, a department for design. Mm-hmm. And so that was also very exciting because that means that I would not only have the students for like one week or one one month at best. Then you
0: had students uh, for accessibility, years. Accessibility, yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: And uh, this is also the point where I realized that, you know, as an inventor, you could have impact if you, if you develop your own technology. But then if you are a teacher, then you could make, you know, tens or hundreds of inventors.
0: Mm. And,
1: you know, young people, they are so fast at learning and they have access to so much technology then, you know, even even if only like 1% of the students that I train uh, end up being doing impactful work, mm-hmm. then actually it's more impact than I could achieve on my own. That's
0: fantastic. And Hong Kong is a great place to do it too, isn't exactly. it? Exactly.
1: Although mm-hmm. I'd say like um, uh, there's a strong... Social pressure to uh, make a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Obviously, that seems to be quite paramount and everything, isn't it? So
1: but, yeah, not necessarily impact. Yeah. So it's not only like a capacity change that you want to do, but it's also like a mindset uh, education that you really want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I can see that in young people is that a lot of them are passionate about the environment, and they do see uh, the challenges with climate change, and they they they, they do see their life mission uh, to address that increasingly. Mm. Uh, also, they see this as business opportunity. Climate change is going to be uh, destroying... Yeah, the scope you know. in
0: every respect, isn't that That, you know, that you can change the environment, but at the same time, if you invent something or create something that's going to people are going to use, there is yeah. potential to make money from it as that's well. That's right, exactly. Wow. And benefit.
1: And so I think we are the transition of, um, you know, like helping the environment right now doesn't really pay. Yeah. if you clean the beach if you save animals animals don't don't pay you yeah. <laughs> the beach doesn't pay you yeah. uh, but increasingly because the situation is becoming worse and worse in many aspects um, then it's recognized of the public utility of such work and this work is getting paid increasingly mm-hmm. um, so for example like if you clean the air Nobody cared about this like 10 years ago, even though the the air quality was much worse. And so now there's carbon credits. There are um, lots of organizations that invest into that. Mm -hmm. And just generally, socially, it's becoming much more... Things have changed a lot, haven't they?
0: Uh, Absolutely, that people are interested and looking for new, innovative things to do. Yes. Okay, good. So, and we move you, we carry on (laughs) our journey uh, through your career. And then what was, so you've established Bay, the robotics... So, what comes next? What t- tickled your fancy next, then?
1: So, Irish KU. Uh, in the last three years um, I've been so lucky to um, in the first year it was it was, uh, it was a lot of work just to get the program off the ground, uh, recruit the students uh, build a portfolio to attract the next generation mm-hmm. because we are bootstrapping the whole thing um, in the second year I started to establish collaboration with the with some colleagues in the Swire Institute of Marine Science so mm-hmm. in the marine or like um, uh, life science, mm-hmm. marine biology okay. department
0: okay.
1: I started to have some friends and I explained and, and I showed them some of the work that I've done. And they're like, oh, you're a designer, but you do like ocean science stuff. And you I'm do like, everything. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so we start to like becoming more friends and they start to co-teach some classes. Okay. And um, so there was one course that is called Floating Marine Lab uh, that we develop. And it's basically co-taught by myself and Professor uh, Rajan, uh, who is a professor in marine science, specialized in oyster farming. Mm-hmm. And so he's helping uh, the Hong Kong oyster farming, which is Possibly the oldest industry in Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. Because, I um, mean, you know, before we called it the Greater Bay, this place used to be called the Pearl River Delta. Okay. And Pearl is because this called place used to be completely filled with wow. oysters. Wow. And so the quality of the water was much, much better uh-huh. in big parts because this place had so many oysters. Right. Uh, but now that the oysters are Mostly dead because they've been either over farmed or just destroyed Fusion. because of the habitat of mm. dredging, because of creating canals and uh, allowing big shipping boats to come through. Mm. Um, the, the habitat have really reduced, and now we have climate change and acidification. Mm. Uh, temperature is going up, uh, too much nutrients. Uh, there's a lot of challenges. And so uh, what used to be the key species of this whole ecosystem is basically almost disappeared. Okay. And in the last uh, two years because of COVID, um, what remained of oysters, which used to be mostly farmed oysters, uh, because the, most of the manpower comes from mainland China to actually help to uh, harvest them, mm-hmm. could not come. Mm-hmm. And so the local oyster farmers are aging. So we're talking about an industry that used to be the first and the most important for this ecosystem that we are just watching die, and nobody is basically doing anything. Mm-hmm. And so I was looking for ways to help them to farm, maybe in a more automated way, uh, reduce the mortality of oysters, and potentially couple the production of oysters with the production of green energy. Okay. And so that's maybe... Uh,
0: yeah, no, it gets it's getting heavy now. Okay, yeah. but, but I think um, if anyone is interested in having a look at the film, you can actually go to my Facebook page, and there's a fantastic film about the whole project, and you can see Caesar working on it. And so just go to my Facebook page, Sadie Usmani on Radio Three RTHK, and there's just a link there that you can actually see the film. And that was that was a fantastic project. I do remember mm-hmm. um, talking to you when you were doing that, and I just remember you uh, you had to move this this big platform. Mm -hmm. from one place to the other, because it couldn't stay where it was. And I do recall you spending the whole night (laughs) (laughs) making something to actually move these things. You know, talking about being inventive, he is incredibly inventive. So now the oyster, that's one of the projects. What happens next? What are you up to now?
1: So the the oyster, to maybe expand a little bit more on this, so basically the, so we know that we need much more oysters in Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. That's just a, a fact. Um, and we also need to bring uh, clean energy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we had project and feasibility study that proved that we could have winds uh, like much like offshore wind turbines for example. Studies from 2006 it's possible it's financially viable. Um, we start to have some very shy experiment of some small floating solar uh, farms mm-hmm. uh, and that, mm-hmm. that is being tested mm-hmm. also that works. Places like Singapore have implemented on a much much bigger scale okay. It's becoming a significant part of their. Production. Uh-huh. So what we what I thought is that okay, people are generally reluctant to develop renewable energy because they say, oh, your wind turbine are ugly or like the yeah, solar yeah, panel they take yeah. too much space, and in Hong Kong we need more real estate. Uh-huh. But what we figured is that if you use the installation of the oil stuff huh? on the water, on the water, yeah, and then you covered it with solar panels, mm-hmm. you could produce an enormous amount of clean solar power. Mm-hmm. And if you have the solar power, they also make the water cooler. Mm and So it has different, it's doing
0: different things at the same time. Exactly. And it's not an eyesore.
1: And it's not an eyesore. Yeah. And then it's producing um, revenue for the oyster farmers. Mm -hmm. And if you use some of the solar electricity uh, to actually, you put in the water, and then you break the water into hydrogen and oxygen, you are creating the greenest, potential okay. fuel that exists so in the universe. So it all works.
0: Yes. And is it, now is it something that's kind of actively being used in Hong Kong now?
1: So this is still a proof of concept, so okay. we're just trying to prove that we can do all these things. Okay. Because we're doing so many different things at the same time, <laughs> solar, hydrogen, oyster, we yeah. have to re- respect the regulation of uh, the energy, of the uh, energy department, of the maritime department, of EFCD, because we are producing food, basically oysters. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot of function to one platform. So before we're going to exploit it industrially, we have to first show, you know, So it'll take is a safe. couple of years of experimentation exactly. and
0: stuff before you can kick off.
1: But the potential is, is enormous because we need to bring much more oysters, oops, oh. uh, oysters out there. Uh, we need to have solar power and hydrogen uh, China mainland uh, yeah, they they actually want 10 percent of the global Chinese budget okay. uh, to be coming from hydrogen. Right. So if Hong Kong will need this infrastructure, and I think it's the yeah. only way you could do that at scale. Okay. So
0: and has the yeah. pandemic kind of slowed you down a little bit in your task? Has I it been hard, or you it, just keep beaving away and doing what you have to do? Uh, we
1: have, yeah, we we do what we have to do. But it was tough in the summer uh, to work at sea yeah. in North Point. It was very smelly. Yeah. <laughs> the water was dirty, yeah. and then you can't really breathe. You have to be inside of a greenhouse. So it was really hot, and the mask didn't really help. And also, like, you know, uh, the people that come to work on board, uh, they also have to wear a mask, of course. Mm -hmm. So It's hard work. It's no
0: joke trying to do that. No, you're
1: under the sun, you're in the typhoon weather, at sea. So it was was taxing, yeah.
0: Well, it sounds amazing, that. Um, Okay, well, we're kind of moving on for time. Let me just uh, come to the present day, because I know that you recently... We're on Singapore TV. Oh yes. Yeah. So, (laughs) so what was that about?
1: Uh, So I think the reason why Singaporean television uh, heard of us is because um, we did some work that um, was of interest of Singapore. So Singapore is closer to what's called the 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 Coral Triangle. Mm -hmm. So um, Southeast Asia uh, and the triangle that goes, let's say, from like the south of Indonesia, all the way to say um, Singapore, all the way down to Australia, is where you have the most coral reef in the world and where you have the most marine biodiversity in the world. And a big reason for that is for coral reefs. So coral reefs are very biodiverse. They're the most biodiverse marine ecosystem. So they are covering less than 1% of the ocean floor, but they host more than 25% of marine biodiversity. And so all the people who live in this area greatly depend uh on this biodiversity okay. and so in hong kong we have some corals uh-huh. not so many people know that we have the corals oh, because right. okay. because the visibility is not very good okay. um but we build uh, a machine that is a coral What we, we call we call this coral bot mm-hmm. it's basically uh, a boat that has multiple cameras which monitors where they are yes and things. we right. make maps of corals and we use ai to classify the coral and so they heard about it and then they heard about the other stuff that we do and got excited about it and wanted to...
0: So many different projects you're yeah. involved in. <laughs> yes, yes, okay. too many. Okay, so, so now, to summarize a little bit, like now, you know, if, if there was one wish that you could have in, you know, with respect to what you are doing at the moment and what you would like to achieve, what would that one wish be?
1: So in the last uh, 12 years, I've done a lot of what we call citizen science projects. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot about the observation of um, oil spills, for example, in the first place, and then uh, corals, right, more recently. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I'm most excited is this new project with the floating solar to hydrogen, because instead of witnessing the damage that we are doing, mm-hmm. then for the first time, I feel like I'm really engaging on proposing a solution. And not only that, but it's a scalable solution. Mm-hmm. Um you know, in the table of um, elements, mm-hmm. uh, we have all mm-hmm. these different elements, mm-hmm. and hydrogen is the most abundant element in the whole universe. Right. Uh, and it's also the cleanest type of fuel that there is. So it is true that economically now hydrogen is, is expensive uh, in terms of like a consumer, as a consumer okay. a fuel. But once we do it right... It will literally be the cleanest fuel. And as long as, as far as we know, in terms of physics, uh, like the (laughs) laws of nature Mm -hmm. kind of tell us that that's the most efficient fuel that they can be. Uh, So I'm pretty confident that if we do this right, then we could actually really make a dent in in climate change, and you know find a better way to propel boats and cars and buses, and even do uh, transportation from one continent to another uh, with reusable rockets. So, for example, like uh, uh, Elon Musk um, rockets yeah. that they use to that they want to use to send people to Mars, they use uh, liquid oxygen, uh, liquid hydrogen. Okay. which we can produce okay. on these oyster farms Wow So basically if one day uh, those technology come through we will need to have a clean source of fuel. And as far as I know, this will be the best um, environmentally integrated solution that I've ever seen that is scalable, that could be implemented in cities and so well, on. Well,
0: you know what? I think you'll do it. <laughs> yes, see <yes. laughs> You have such passion and yeah. um, such commitment. And I know I've seen you, how determined you are and things that you do. You know, I can't thank you enough. Uh, Caesar. thank you so much for coming in today. It's been honestly it's always very interesting talking to you because you have such huge amount of passion and and I'm sure that the things that you want to do you will and but you could promise me that you come back and give me an update <laughs> <laughs> Sure, sure. But it started here like we yes. talked about it thank you so much for your time Thanks today it's me. been lovely talking to you and I wish you luck and please do um, go over to my Facebook page and do have a look at that video because it, it was really really very good and just google him and find out what he's doing so i'm gonna i'm gonna go over to a track of music now and it's michael buble and then we've got the news at two